worship the... Okay, no, sorry, I'm doing a sermon. Never mind, my bad. Uh, <laughs> you know, if anybody else, Johnny, I wouldn't have done it, but I love you. I love you more than I do everyone else. No, I, uh, I, next week, uh, we, you have a, a big treat in store for you. Um, someone much younger than me is going to be preaching, and that's always exciting. He doesn't look younger than me. He looks like a grizzled man from the jungle, but Braden will be up here preaching, and uh, he will, uh, he's going to do a great job. I've heard sort of the direction he's heading. Um, we've sat down and um, I haven't really like offered much insight, but he's um, he's sat down and studied for this with me, and he is. Uh, it's going to be a really good, really good sermon. Uh, I, I encourage all of you to come here, uh, Braden, next week. Uh, also, as a matter, two more two more little quick announcements. Uh, we are having a life group uh, informational meeting uh, after uh, this services after we um, close in prayer. There will be fried fish. I don't know if you've heard the door open and like a, sound like a jet was outside. They're frying fish right now. I gave Tracy permission to do that instead of my sermon because I'm going to give him the CD of the sermon later. And he, but we're going to have fried fish and beans and I think slaw, something called slaw. Anyway, we will, uh, that'll, that'll be a really good time. If, if you've ever been interested in leading a life group and hosting a life group, if you've never really been to a life group and you think, I don't even know what those are, uh, and I like fish, then this is, this is the time for you. Please come join us. There's plenty. They, got, they bought 7,000 pounds of fish, and that's what we're going to have. That's what um, Ty came up to me. After, Ty's out there with Tracy right now, and uh, Ty came up to me afterward and said, said you, Benjamin, you need to call the troops. We got a lot of fish. And I said, okay, I will. I don't know. So troops... We've got a lot of fish. Uh, so, okay, that, and then tonight, at, uh, tonight, at, at, did we do five o'clock? Is that when we do search? Okay, it's been a while. Uh, five o'clock, uh, we will, tonight, we will have a lesson that I think would be beneficial to everyone, but it's called the God of Singles. So, um, those who, um, sometimes you, you're not married, you feel kind of like, well, there's a group of not marrieds uh, that I, I want to tap into here. I, I want to talk about being single in the name of Jesus. And I think that has a lot to do um, with how we are married in the name of Jesus. So um, if that doesn't intrigue you, I don't know what will. So please come uh, tonight um, and we'll talk about being single. And then we'll get into being married and how those are connected and what that looks like in the name of God. All right, so... I have um, noticed, and maybe you've noticed this too, that it's, uh, uh, it's about the time of year that people are starting to make promises publicly that they really won't be able to um, actually come through with um, when all is said and done, right? Have you seen this? Um, Right? Football. So, NFL, starting soon. <laughs> what do you think I meant? <laughs> the NFL is starting soon, and everyone's going to win the Super Bowl, right? Uh, 
high school football starting soon and everyone's going to win the state championship. I pray, like actually have prayed for um, the Nashville Scrappers coach because uh, Coach V, uh, Velarvich, I like to show off that I can say his last name. Coach Velarvich, I prayed for him because it's probably really hard to have won a state championship the next year. Like the next year is probably really hard in Nashville. And, you know, the first time he loses, which may not be this year, but the first time he use it, loses, people are going, well, he's lost his edge. <laughs> like, he hasn't lost yet. But we're all, we all make promises and we, ha- we put our hopes, we want people, we want promises to come true. We want, and listen, you are, people are making promises all the time to you. In, in advertisements, they're just saying, hey, guess what? If you come to this place, you'll be treated properly. Like I've heard ads that'll say, we're the tire center that will treat you right. You know, the other tire tr- center beats you up when you come in. Like every tire center pretty much has their deals and they have their tires and, and, and you know, except, you know, Neely's, which is, you know, or Jim's or whatever. Local ones that I'm supposed to be supporting somehow. But they've all got, they've all got their pushes and their promises and they'll say, come in and we'll, we'll sell you this thing for literally pennies. Just pennies. That's, not love. That's my favorite ad. Like, well, how many pennies? Five billion pennies? Because that's still amount of, an amount of pennies. Like you can promise any price is just pennies. You know what? Those people who make those promises, if you actually came and paid them in pennies, they would not be happy. Like $70 worth of pennies. We're just going to count these out. So we, we make these promises and we love for people to promise us things. Promise me a Super Bowl. Promise me... Promise me success. Promise me a deal. Promise me uh, uh, happiness. Promise me safety. Oh, give me a promise and I will bite. We like these promises. This is why uh, Jeremiah 29.11 is so exciting to us. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Oh, that is such, that is such a good bumper sticker. That is such a good thing to put on a a good dining plate. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans not to harm you and a future. I'm going to bring you hope. And that hope looks like prosperity. Hope that you will, you will get richer because I'm in power. You will, you, because God loves you, you will find prosperity. And this is a wonderful idea. And it's not even really what he was saying. We have have locked onto this and somehow equated prosperity, like wealth, with 
God blessing us. So if God is going to bless America, then we will be a prosperous nation. But sometimes God blesses us by not giving us what, you, what, what we want. So how does this particular passage jive with that mentality of, well, sometimes what is God, what is God doing when His blessings are training us instead of prospering us? Let's look first at the context and then we'll look at the language and kind of get at the heart of this passage. Jeremiah 29.11 begins with Jeremiah 29.10. For this, for thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And then he says, and this is actually a different translation, probably a better translation, New Revised Standard, um, better translation of this verse. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Now, notice there's the, the immediate context of this passage. He has a, a time frame in mind that would not be suitable for most of us. God, when are you going to prosper us? Well, let me tell you. In 70 years, in 70 years, I plan on being dead. If not, I'll be 104, and I will have talked to Al Roker, who will still be alive at that time, who himself, will be 137. So there, we'll have, he'll be older than that, but we'll have like seven, wait, what, 70 years? Go back to that passage. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are complete. Now, 70 years in, um, in this particular book, in Jeremiah, there's, it doesn't necessarily always mean just exactly 70 years on, uh, on the head. It often means, well, in, when I'm ready, in God's time, then I will come visit you, and it's then you will prosper. And it's then I will bless you. It's then I will have a promise for you. But we've got to wait. So my, my kids don't even trust me in this. When they say, hey, da- hey, Dad, can we have a snack? And I'll say, not right now. They'll say, when? Because they know I'm just buying time and I've got nothing in my head. They know I'm just like, well, I don't want to get it for you right now. And they'll say, all right, we'll win. And if I were to say, well, 70 years. Actually, the, the language that what God means when he said 70 years is actually more, a little frightening. Like when I tell the kids, well, when I'm ready. They may, even, they may think, well, that may be never. What about now? They'll say. But you give them an exact time, like 25, 30 minutes, and then then I'm held to it and they're held to it. We can kind of, they won't come ask me again, except they have no, they don't have a great concept of time. They'll come in, has it been 30 minutes yet? You didn't even leave the room. 
So we have these, these promises God makes, but they're the promises in the context of an awful situation. The, the Babylonians had come in and destroyed the temple of God. The, the Israelites had been taken into captivity and they were going to be slaves in captivity. And they said, God, where are you? And God says, don't you worry your pretty little head. In 70 years... Well, I'm not going to be around for that. But God says that God wants us to see this generational blessing. Right? God sees like ahead of time. God isn't coming to bless me. He's coming to bless a people. He wasn't coming to to bless just this guy, Hezekiah or, or Nehemiah. He was coming to bless a people. He says it's going to be a while. I think it's a funny saying to say this generation, this young generation today is an awful group of people. They have nobody to look up to. It's sort of a joke, but like we always pretend like the best, the, like the generation after us is just horrible. They're going to ruin the world. You know who, who, who else thought that? Plato said that. Do you know Plato said that? Philosophers have constantly been saying, oh, the, oh, this next generation is worthless. I remember thinking that about, um, like, Pokemon, although that's new now. And I think this is a Pokemon spot, our church building. I haven't confirmed that. Put your phones away. If you don't know what I'm talking about, thank the Lord that you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Charlie just went, okay. <laughs> Thumbs up. No, but, like, I remember whenever I was growing up, like, as a kid, I, w- I loved, forgive me, Ninja Turtles. That, that came out when I was a kid. I loved Ninja Turtles. And then this thing called Mighty Morphin Power Rangers came out. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous. This is the good thing. That's the silly thing. The slowest animal on the planet is a ninja. I know some of you are like, well, the sloth actually is the slowest animal on it. Oh, be quiet. You get my point. But those people making dinosaur robots, that's ridiculous. What comes after you is always silly. And we always think, well, that generation, what are they, what are they doing? Generations always follow the lead of the generation before them. And the generation before them affected the generation that's affecting this generation. If, if our kids are struggling to follow Jesus, it's our fault. We are to blame. Not them. You know, we mess with millennial, like the millennials. I don't know if you've heard that term. They're like, I want the services to be just for me. And we kind of poke fun at them like that. Um, I... Uh, I once joked that we we had a we had a uh, uh, like a Halloween we don't call it Halloween but like a fall festival and people were dressing up and I said I'm going to go as a millennial I'm going to dress in way too tight of jeans and leave when the whole thing doesn't revolve around me. But self self selfishness isn't new to that generation. How many churches have split over the color of the carpet? How many churches have split because, I, well, I wanted my way? That's not just, that's not 
new to young people. They learned to be selfish from old people. We teach them that. I'm counting myself as old people here. We teach them that generations affect generations, and God knows that. He says, there is coming a time where I'm going to come and fulfill a promise, and it's going to be a long time. Start preparing your kids now. When God brings the people up out of Egypt, He tells them, I want, when your grandchildren ask you why this happened, tell them this. When your grandchildren say, why do we take the Passover? Tell them about the way we walked out of Egypt. Grandparents are important to the generations to come. And you say, well, I'm I'm just not like, I'm not a perfect person. I'm not, I'm kind of broken. And God says, hey, your story is going to affect the next story and the next one. And you are, you are called to holiness not because God wants you to, like you have to be perfect to please God, but you are called to holiness because the next generation is counting on you to be holy. I've always said, and this, is, this, is, this is harsh, I know, it's really harsh, but it's true. Your kids might not leave the faith because you don't bring your kids to Bible class. But your great-grandkids might. You are starting a pattern with your life. You are affecting generations with your choices. And God's promise to us is one that is in the future. And it's one that that we'll see brings peace. But it's one that He's calling us to start living out now. When God says, I will bring you, I will do fulfill a promise, He's not wanting us to sit down and wait for it to come. He's wanting us to live as if it already has come. Because when God makes a promise, God means that promise. When God says something is going to happen, He means it. Now, here's the question here. What exactly is he promising in verse 11? Verse 11, he says, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. That word for your welfare, that that word translated prosperity in the NIV is just, oh man, I've skipped around. Oh goodness, y'all saw where I was going. Shalom. Now if you don't know the word shalom, shalom just means peace, but it also means more. Um, We don't really have a good word to translate their word shalom. Uh, The Hebrews have several words like this. Hesed, excuse me, hesed. Thought it was a, it's not. Hesed. Shalom. There are these big words that encapsulate a lot of things. Our word like this is love. Like you can say love and you can mean a lot of different things when you say love. Like I'm going to love that person. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means I'm going to be faithful to that person. I'm going to be generous to that person. I'm going to serve that person. So we, there's a lot. You can't just say 
just this one word love and translate it really well into any other language. But shalom's like that. When he says shalom, whenever he says, I have plans for your shalom, there's a lot to um, pull out of that. Shalom is actually the way they greeted people. You saw someone um, on the streets in Babylon that was a fellow Jew. You said shalom, and they said shalom. Just meant peace to you, blessing to you, just this essence of peacefulness to you. Now, no one confused that greeting whenever I saw someone on the streets of Babylon as a Jewish, uh, Jewish man or woman and I said, Shalom. They never would reply, Oh my goodness, you're going to give me prosperity? Thank you. I'm going to be wealthy? Life's going to be easy? No, shalom wasn't something that happened to you. Shalom was something that was put in you and then happened to others. I have plans for your welfare. Actually, the best way to translate this would be to say that I I have plans for your shalom. There's just no other word really to put there that makes it make sense. I have plans for your peace, for your welfare, for your for your state of mind. I have plans for who you are going to be. I have a future for you. I have plans for your shalom. He goes on and says, Then will you call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. This is what what God's plans are for us, or for them. I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will resolve, I will resolve, I can't read that word, good grief. I will resolve your fortunes and restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. It's really hard to take this passage and just lift it up and throw it on a church today and say, see, God has plans for you because they are looking forward to the plans and the ultimate promises of God and we look backward. We see the promise that God laid out and we have sometimes can get in, like, can extract promises from their story. And say, well, that promise is for me. And yeah, it is, but not in the same way it was for them. Because they were in captivity, and God was actually specifically saying, I plan for this not to last. I plan to bring you out and bring you peace. I have plans for you, and those plans were very specific. One of, one of the difficulties I have with um, modern teachers is this idea that God has this very specific plan for your life. Um, I, I think it involved Jesus. That's what I think. 
And any, a lot of times the way we talk about God's specific plan for my life, what we mean is, like, God, God's got something for me to do. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it well. And God's going to bless it because it's God's plan for me. And sometimes that plan can be, uh, well, God, God wants me to endure this hardship, or God wants me... Anytime you divorce God's plan for you from His Messiah and make it more about the mundane instead of the messianic, it's not really a biblical plan. And you can't take verses like this and say, well, see, God has, God has a plan for me. Plan for, well, He had a plan for Israel to bring them back. And he had a plan for the Messiah. And he has a plan for you. But that plan rarely involves where you go to college. That plan rarely involves on which job should I take. Well, pick one. And follow God there. God has... God, well, God, I'm just... I don't know. I'm searching for God's plan for who I should marry. I'm finding the one. Well, God can bless your marriage, make a wise decision about who you marry. That's actually a pretty important decision, right? Young people, don't marry who you're standing next to when it's time to marry. We do that sometimes, right? When we get old enough, well, I'm 22, 23, I'm dating this person, I guess it's sort of time. That could be a huge mistake. But we want, we want God's, like, where's, where's God leading me? Where's God? God's leading you to actions like we find in the Sermon on the Mount. God's leading you to follow this Savior who redeemed you and beat death for you. God's leading you to do that in every single aspect of your life. So choose a college and follow God there. Choose... Choose, choose a spouse wisely and then follow God within that relationship. God's plan for you is to follow His Son, the King, Jesus, the Messiah. And yes, you may be called to some specific grand thing. Sure, some people are. I have not been so far that I know of. Hope I'm not missing it, right? I always tell Rachel, what if I'm a prodigy in something I haven't even tried yet? What if? She, she always comes, um, she's so sweet. She says, you're not. That's her counsel to me. What if? But maybe you are called to something big, but for the most part, if it deviates from the call that we find in Jesus... If it's more about self than it is about community, if it's more about prosperity than it is about shalom, you might be confusing the American dream with the dream of God. You might be confusing prosperity with shalom. You might be lifting a confusing community with your very individualistic understanding of Jesus. 
This, this verse means so much. But it doesn't mean that God wants you to be rich. And I don't think, and there are a lot of really smart people who really disagree with me. I want to say that. I don't think it means that God has this like step-by-step plan for you. Because sometimes if you take that too far, there was a prominent pastor um, after the Sandy Hook shooting who came out and said, well, it's all part of God's plan. No. I vehemently disagree. I mean, I honor him for staying, you know, consistent, but he's wrong. God is pointing us to a wonderful future, but it's a future that's so far out there that this generational thing, we're, we're focusing on raising the next group. And this, this doesn't mean you have to have kids. Like, I know people who affect young people um, and don't have children, and they've affected more young people than you can possibly imagine. And so there's... There's this beautiful promise God is making to us in the name of Jesus about who we can be as a community. He's calling us to that. Calling us to affect our children. Affect the way the next, gener- the next generation views the world. And we can bring the world out of hatred. We can bring the world out of violence. But it's going to be through our grandkids going to be through our great grandkids when we affect it so incrementally and it works out God works out his vision for what the church what his people can be God has a will for you God has a plan for you and I would argue that it predominantly is the plan that we find in Jesus the will that we find in the teachings and life, and death, and resurrection of Jesus. God has a plan for you, and it involves shalom. It involves peace. It involves community. It involves Messiah. And I, I would argue that's enough. I would argue that we're not, if, if we then say, well, what if, what about me? I think the community is enough. The Messiah is enough. Salvation is enough. God has a plan for you today. He has a plan for you that you follow his son, Jesus, and that that affect generation after generation And that the more we look like Jesus, the more this colony of of heaven can infiltrate and, and change the country of hell. Necessarily saying the USA is a country of hell. That's that's an old Eugene Peterson line. That the church is a colony of heaven operating within a country of hell. That we are going to look like God has called us to look like. We are going to unite like God has called us to unite. 
within our diversity and we will change the world right here. And the more we live that out, the more our kids will see us live that out. And when they are old, they will not part from it. They will not forget it. And it will matter. All that being said, well, how do we, how do we live that out? Um, you act like a follower of Jesus in your home, at the store, your school, at football games, at for all sporting events, in the car, with your kids. Let them see that in you. And let them model that. If you are not saying to your kids, follow me as I follow Jesus. We're not saying to the next generation, follow us as we follow Jesus. Generations after that have no hope and it's because of us. God has a plan. And that plan is Jesus. Come be a part of that plan this morning.